The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to another episode of Mr. Benfica. It is the official kickoff of Season 6 here on the podcast. I'm your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinu. And the season is underway, and it's a mixed bag in the first week of the season. First two matches for Benfica, of course. Euphoric victory over Porto in the Super Cup. And then we come crashing down to earth against Boavista in round one of the Liga Portugal. Bet click. We're going to talk about both of those matches tonight, plus some league news. And probably much, much more. But episode 167, the premiere of season six of Mr. Benfica, kicks off Right now! Why did you choose Benfica instead of Roger? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really great club, one of the best clubs in the world. And um, so I think I love football, and if you love football, you love Benfica. And it- So Mr. Benfica is saying that uh, he's supposed to be working, but instead uh, he's uh, watching uh, Benfica. going on my people from the northeast corner of the united states of america going out around the world tonight this is mr benfica i'm the mr mike agustinio again follow me on twitter or the x whatever you want to call it follow me at mike agustinio that's at m-i-k-e-a-g-o-s-t-i-n-h-o and follow the show if you'd like at benfica mr all right you can find me there that's where i'm the most active if you have if you want to say something to me if you want to interact with me that's the that's the platform where you have the best chance of me seeing your message i don't ignore anybody i just don't always see the messages all right so if you want to if you want to discuss anything if you got you know you want to make a comment critique whatever it's all good i take it all i love all feedback okay feel free to hit me up there with a dm at mike agustinho at m-i-k-e-a-g-o-s-t-i-n-h-o we're here for another season, and um, it wouldn't be Benfica if it wasn't stressful, right? We don't do things the easy way around here, and uh, well, the start of the season, in the preseason, in fact, was not easy. Now, I didn't do any preseason coverage this season. Time just didn't allow for it. Um, I wanted to. 
I, to be honest with you, did not get to see much of the action in the preseason. So watching the Super Cup was really my first good look at this team. I did watch the Al Nasser match. That's the only match I really sat and watched from beginning to end in the preseason. And preseason is something I don't really like to cover on a podcasting standpoint. Um, A lot of times... It's hard to gauge what's going on because we're not in the team room and we don't know what the manager's objectives are in each preseason match, okay? We can talk about lineups, but, you know, Roger will make two teams, 11 play the first half, 11 play the second half, and it's not always in the preseason about getting, it's it's never really about getting a result in the preseason. It's about performance, but it's also sometimes about working specific routines, specific uh, syncrasies, you know, and sometimes it's about trying to get the wing backs forward and seeing how that leaves you, uh, that leaves you exposed at the back. Sometimes it's about going to a back three versus a back four. Sometimes it's about a double pivot or a holding mid and, and all these things are being tried out. And it's not always obvious what the manager's looking for, what the club's looking for, why one guy's playing more than another sometimes. Sometimes it's to put him in the shop window. Other times it's to really give somebody an opportunity to win a position. And sometimes, you know, it's 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 an all-out battle between two guys to win a spot. So it, it's not something that's easy to cover. And the average fan looks at it, looks at the score, looks at the eye test. Everybody loves the eye test, but it's hard to... Um, it's hard to... Make sense of an eye test when you don't know what the objectives of the match are. So I was I was and am not overly concerned with the results of the preseason. Yeah, we lost two matches this year. Last year, we were perfect through preseason. Last year, we also had Champions League pre-qualifiers to worry about. And we didn't have time to really try things. We had to really get the team ready to play as soon as possible. And... You know, Roger had a lot of success with that last season. This season was a much different approach. We didn't have those pre-rounds to worry about. And he can do a more gradual uh, introduction into the season. And he was able to test more things. And perhaps that that also, you know, played into the results. Yes, two losses in this preseason, both to Burnley and to Feyenoord. But, of course, if you look at the type of opponents that were selected for those matches, those were teams that do resemble Football Club de Porto, our opponents in the Super Cup. And at the end of the day, we won the Super Cup. So it looks like, you know, that that worked out. Losing those matches was for a reason. Lessons were learned. Adjustments were made. And Benfica ended up winning the silverware, starting the season off with a piece of silverware. However, it does beg the question. Did we spend too much of the preseason focused on Porto and focused on the Super Cup? And were we a little overconfident and maybe a little underprepared for Boavista at the start of the league season? I'm not really sure. Um, I, I doubt it, but it's a fair question. I doubt it, but it's a fair question. Now, before we get into the match, let's talk about a few things off the pitch, okay? Listeners in the UK, listeners in France, listeners in Brazil... Unfortunately, you guys have gone dark, as you know by now. Uh, The Portuguese League loses its broadcast partners in those three major markets, those three hubs of Portuguese expats, where there's a huge Portuguese community and where uh, our club has a large following. And it, it is a sad development. It's a sad situation for the league. 
It's a sad situation for Portuguese football. And I have been vocal, okay? I've been vocal now for over a year about the upcoming centralization of television rights. I'm not, I want to clarify my stance on that, okay? I'm not in principle opposed to the centralization. I'm opposed to the current product being centralized. I'm opposed to centralization without certain improvements made to the product. When you have teams playing in empty stadiums like we did last season, and and I'm going to give the league credit, it looks like they made a good a good measure by um, partnering with Continent, the the supermarket chain, superstore really, more than just a supermarket superstore chain in Portugal and allowing people to get tickets to local matches at their local continent. This has been ridiculed by some, you know, in the especially in the independent media and the podcast sphere. Um, some hardcore supporters really aren't into this, but I see and it works for a lot of these smaller teams. And I think the attendances here in round one of the new league season across the league are a reflection that that is a step in the right direction. So as much as I'm going to criticize this league, I have and probably will going forward. I will tip my cap to what was a good, a good, um, a good effort. Uh, even if it doesn't work out in the long run, I think it's a good effort. And you have to try things. You have to try things, and you have to try to innovate in order to attract more people. And uh, you can get tickets to the first and second division at your local continent if you are in Portugal and if there's a team in one of the first two divisions of Portuguese football in your area, there's a good chance they may have tickets there that you can you can purchase. And I believe it's at a discounted price, but I'm not 100% certain on that. But anyhow, anytime you can bring tickets to the people, I think that is a very good step in the right direction. Now, there's also the negative side of that that has been made very public in the past week when you see the leader of Porto's supporters group. Uh, everyone knows Macaco Madureira. His face is... Well recognized, he can you know he is recognized anywhere in Portugal, and he's he's holding a stack of tickets to to uh, he's holding a stack of tickets. I believe the tickets he was holding in his post were to Moreirense Porto, but he also said it'd be very easy to put 500 Super Dragons in Bessa for Benfica's game to root against Benfica. That is not in the spirit of this partnership. And I don't know that that happened. I don't. I didn't get the sense that there was any loud anti-Benfica section outside of you know outside of the normal Bovista supporters section in this match. And there was a much improved attendance at this Benfica match at Bessa from last season. So um, I think it was an empty threat by Madureira. But uh, who knows? Who knows? As the season goes on, that could be a strategy that that supporters groups start to to employ and start to buy up tickets at their rivals' matches to go root against them. That's not the idea. Okay, the idea is, is to get more families to matches, get the younger kids excited because you know what? The average football supporter is getting old. Let's let's be honest. I'm I'm 40 years old now. And I'm probably in the median age of people that watch this game. People, There's not a lot of people, a generation behind me, that are buying tickets to go to football matches. There's not a lot of people that are watching entire matches on television. This is not just in Portugal. This is everywhere. This is sports in general. People have become in a way addicted to devices, addicted to social media, and are consuming 
<laughs> they're consuming condensed highlight packages and then going on the internet and talking like experts about what they saw in those highlight packages as if it was it to- tells the whole story. That is kind of a situation we find ourselves in now in the world of sports. So I think making tickets more accessible to everybody is a very important step that the league needs to take in order for this centralization of, of television rights to work. Okay, it cannot be where the real product is the three the three or four matches featuring the big four, big five. I, I include Vitoria in this because they're well supported. I'll say big five when I talk about this. It can't be selling those five matches and then the other four being, you know, kind of they're there, they're on, and nobody's at the match. And, you know, the it's a zero zero draw with with seven yellow cards and where the ball is in play for 42% uh, of the of the of the match, you know, it can't be that. So the league has to take steps in the right direction to correct that. Now, this is a big step backwards for the Liga Portugal losing these TV partners. And it doesn't surprise me quite honestly. Um, and this is not a shot at anybody out there. Listen, and now you have no choice if you live in these places but to watch this, you know, through an an IPTV or through some sort of, you know, illegal I say illegal in air quotes, okay? Uh, illegal streaming site, you know, where online piracy. Um, that has consequences, though. That has consequences, and TV TV uh, contracts get dropped. Now, it, I don't know. I'm assuming piracy is an issue in France. I'm assuming that the broadcaster knows their signals being pirated, and they're not seeing the subscriptions any longer to justify spending the money that it may or may not cost to broadcast the rights of the of the Portuguese league. I have to say that. I have to be honest and say that. This again, this is not a shot at anybody. However, you 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 know, by any means necessary to watch your team. I get it. I'm not throwing judgment at anybody. But understand that things do have consequences and if we don't know, we don't know the details. But if, and my sense is that the Liga Portugal, because this came days after Pedro Proença announced or made a statement about this league being worth 300 million euros in television money, and it was funny that just days after that, you know, France drops the league. The French, you know, uh, broadcaster drops the league, and I'm wondering if the price went up. I'm wondering if the price increased from last year to this year. There was no increase in the number of matches there because the same number of teams there was, you know, last year was not a pretty year on the pitch for the League of Portugal. Okay. Um, Especially outside of the big, the big five, like I said, Uh, outside of the matches featuring the big five, I should say. You have a stadium like Hiwavs, and we talked about it, where they knock down a central stand and have no intention to rebuild it. Now you have a fence there, or you have a screen. Okay, that TV companies don't want to see that, especially if you're raising your price. I don't know that they did or not. Uh, that's the story in in France. In the UK, I believe it was TNT Sport. Also, you know, couldn't make a couldn't make a deal, couldn't make an agreement to broadcast the Liga Portugal this season. And I know my friends over at the Long Ball Football Podcast broke this news. And they got some traction. I know it was retweeted by João Gonçalves in Portugal, uh, the Fever Pitch Podcast, with his very large following. And um, I know that 
It would also come out that Brazil would lose their rights as well. ESPN in Brazil, longtime partner of the Liga Portugal, lost the rights to broadcast this league in Brazil. The Portuguese league not available legally on television in Brazil. Why is that? That one's a little more complicated. It sounds like the league sold exclusive Latin American rights to all of Latin America to Gold TV. Gold TV, who also have the rights here in North America, but that is a different contract, a different agreement. But in Latin America, Gold TV is also the broadcaster of, of the Portuguese League, of the League of Portugal, to all of Latin America, which apparently includes Brazil. However, Gold TV not available in Brazil. And I think Gold TV had gotten around the exclusivity in the past because Gold TV, I'm sorry, I believe ESPN Brazil got around it in the past because ESPN Brazil broadcasts in Portuguese, Gold TV broadcasts in Spanish, and probably believed that that the Gold TV deal uh, only covered the Spanish language rights in Latin America. But I guess it's been clarified now, and uh, Gold TV is the exclusive home of Liga Portugal in Latin America which does not include Brazil at this time. So Brazil blacked out. This is this is hard. This is in a uh, suppose this in 5 years in a centralized, you know, TV agreement, okay? And this agreement's being forced by the government, so it's not like as much as I've said in the past that Benfica should fight this. I think Benfica has to fight for certain things to be included, but I think there's no avoiding this. Sadly, because I don't think government should be involved in sport at at all. I, this is private business, and to me, it's it's an overstep of government. It's it's overstepping their bounds, in my opinion. But again, I'm looking at this from a very American point of view. Um, Europe is different. I get it. I get it. Okay, so I'll leave it at that. But uh, imagine this is you know with all. And I believe the centralization would include all 36, well, it's not really 36 clubs because you have two B teams in the second division. So it would be all 34 clubs that make up the Liga Portugal's two levels um, would be included in this in this deal. So imagine 34 clubs relying on television revenue, you know, to, to balance their budgets, to to pay their bills, to keep the lights on. And you lose, what do we have, over a million potential viewers in France. Just the number of Portuguese, Luso-French viewers. You lose however many hundreds of thousands in the UK. However many hundreds of thousands in Brazil. Okay. Um, And I actually believe that France has over 2 million Portuguese, if I'm not mistaken. But I could be wrong. Um, But that is a lot of eyeballs, a lot of potential subscriptions. That the Liga would lose had this ha- if this were a couple years from now. That has me very concerned. Okay, that has me very concerned. And it almost, it, you have to, it, it got scary here in North America for a moment. And this is where I'm going to kind of segue. But Friday, the league kicked off. And Braga versus Fama, a Minu Derby, Fama Licão visiting Braga. Sorry, hosting Braga, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong now. Um, either way, it, it's a Minu derby, and it, it's a cracker of a match to start off the season. I go to Gold TV to watch it, and uh, we got the Dutch Super Cup on. I say, okay, um, something's going on. I tweet at Gold TV, I get no response. So, naturally, 
I tweeted Nino, Nino Torres, the commentator. Uh, you heard him there in the in the new version of the theme song that you just heard a little while ago. Um, that day, he famously said on the air that, uh, you know, that I was supposed to be working and I was watching Benfica. Um, I, I hit him up and I said, "Hey, uh, I'm not wa- I'm not hearing you. I- I'm listening to you call the Dutch Super Cup right now. What's going on?" And then he tweeted. He said, "See my my most recent tweet." And it looks like the deal was not done on the first day of the season. That's concerning from from my standpoint. That's concerning, for again, from a financial standpoint, for the financial health of the future of this league. Now, I'm not even talking about Benfica, okay? In a future where centralization of TV rights is supposed to be the lifeblood for all these clubs that, that struggle, okay? And that do the best they can. These clubs that sometimes are prone to bring in Shady investors to to pay the bills, to keep the lights on. You cannot have TV partners, you know, going to day one and not having it set in stone that they are the broadcaster. This is not a good reflection of the League of Portugal. This is not a good reflection of Pedro Proença. I've been very critical of him, okay? I still... If he has the unanimous support of all 18 clubs in the first division, imagine what the alternatives are because it's just been a disaster, to be honest. I think he's had some good initiatives, but I think some of his initiatives make no sense also. But this is a hot topic, and it's only going to heat up the the, the centralization of TV rights because, again, we Benfica fans are are going to be the majority of the subscribers that subscribe to wherever this league is available. Okay? And losing a partner like ESPN Brazil or TNT Sports or like the name of the French outlet is escaping me, but losing partners like that. I mean, it makes me wonder how much it's going to hit the pocketbook of all of these clubs. And of course, I also feel like our club, along with Porto, along with Sporting, Braga, and Vitoria Guimarães, are going to be subsidizing the entire league, and I have mixed feelings about that. If they're going to continue to be, some of them run the way they are. Okay? If they're going to continue to, for example, and Boavista did this, and I don't like it, if they're going to continue to ban, you're going to sell tickets to supporters of the other team in general admission section and then say they can't wear their club's colors. That's not acceptable in a country that claims to be a free country in 2023. And, you know, Noon Picado said this on, on Benfica FM Monday night after the match. And he said the most concerning part about this, and I, I'm assuming him and I are about the same age, um, Late 30s, early 40s is what I'm assuming. Maybe he's even younger than me. But his what he said was hit the nail on the head. The most disturbing part about this, the most concerning part about this policy of not allowing fans to wear their team's colors in stadiums in a de- democratic country, at least a so-called democratic country. Um, sometimes it makes you wonder some of the some of these things they pass there. But what's most concerning, and he said this best, is that people younger than him find this perfectly normal and perfectly acceptable and it is not acceptable in a free society that's my two cents on that i've said it millions of times but going on to the gold tv situation so so braga family count is dark 
I uh, had the privilege last night of going on Nino's Instagram Live along with a Porto fan and a Spartan fan. And, the you know, the four of us discussed week one of the season. It was a great time. But Nino let us in. So since he mentioned this on his Instagram Live, and it, it, that for me means it's public knowledge, Here's what happened, in case you are wondering. Some of you have asked me, you know, where, what's going on. Is the league even going to be on on Goal TV? By the time the Benfica match rolled around on Monday, it was on. Okay, it worked. Here's what he told us, okay. He showed up for work Friday to call Braga Fumalicom Braga. I don't remember which team was at home at this moment. But he showed up to work to call it. And he's like, where's everybody going? Because people are leaving instead of going in. And they told him, one of his co-workers or a producer or something, told him, oh, the, the game's canceled. He said, what do you mean it's canceled? Is it snowing? Is it raining? What do you mean it's canceled? And eventually, I think his boss explained to him that uh, there was no deal in place. Or there, the deal was in place in principle. So what felt like the deal was about to collapse is not the case. Okay, The deal was made in principle some details had to be ironed out is what nino said on his twitter and i gotta thank nino torres at gold tv um for at e esp nino 74 is his twitter handle if you don't follow him you should he is really the voice in english of this league especially now with no british commentary you know with no british coverage he really even more now is the english voice of this league around the world and um, he he kept us all in the loop. He kept everybody updated what was going on. If not for him, we would have been in the dark. Who knows what kind of conspiracy theories could have, you know, manifested at that point. But he, he said that a few details need to be ironed out. And then what he told us was the contract was missing a signature from Liga Portugal. They had a contract, but they didn't have the last required signature. And they couldn't call the game without that. And then he said it arrived after the match had begun, I believe is what he said. Um, so the deal was was in place, but after the match had started, so they did not have that match to show. Be interesting to see. I haven't had a chance to watch Portugal, their weekly highlight show, something another service that that uh, Goal TV does for us here in North America, a highlight show for the league. They call it Portugal. Another thing that needs to be included in a centralization package and maybe i'm going to do a separate episode one day um, about how to build this centralized tv deal i'll I'll bring on a few people Uh, i've been having some private chats with 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 some people really good stuff being brought forward uh discussing this and i would like at some point maybe during an international break to get everyone to get a couple of us together and to have this discussion um about how to build this centralization of television rights but a weekly highlight show is, is a must. Um, and not the type of weekly highlight shows they put on in Portugal where you bring in celebrity fans of the three teams and they fight over referees. That needs to be weeded out. The toxicity in the league amongst the clubs needs to be weeded out. The four of us last night had a very good civil conversation. We talked football. We, we talked civilly. We... Gave each other, you know, we even got each other's perspectives on our club. And it was good to hear from a Sporting fan and from a Porto fan, you know, what their concerns are going into the season. And um, funny seeing just how similar we are about the way we, we all react 
to our, our clubs and our teams and, and how things go. Okay, so that's what happened with Goal TV. But yes, Goal TV is covering, this is obviously I'm speaking only to people here in, in the United States and Canada, which is a very large portion of this audience. So I think it's relevant. Goal TV is covering it in English and in Spanish as they have. If you're looking for Goal TV, I have two suggestions, okay? If you're looking to get it legally, obviously, um, you can get it through Fubo TV, okay? There is a one of the packages. You got to look at it. I think it's the soccer package or it's the the Spanish package. It might be the the Spanish package. I I I downgraded to this package last season when when BTV was dropped from Fubo TV and I picked up Goal TV in English, okay? Which is great because now I have DVR access to all of Benfica, hopefully all of Benfica's matches, um, and I can record them all and watch them again. And I to do this show, I really rely on the DVR and the recording of matches because I can't always watch them live. A lot of them go on during my workday or this weekend. Benfica's going to be playing and I'm going to be traveling, so I'm going to be watching it later that night when I get to my hotel. Um, so again, I rely on that, but if you don't want to pay for Fubo, cause Fubo is a little pricey, I do recommend, I do recommend Fanatis. Okay. Uh, just Google for Fanatis, Fanat, F-A-N-A-T-I-Z, Fanatis, uh, get that app. Goal TV is available in English and in Spanish there. Okay. And you can watch all of the Liga matches that are televised, you know, on Goal TV there. And you also, and it's it's good value because you also get all of the BN Sport channels, and you get TYC from Ar- from Argentina. You get all of the Brasileiro matches in Portuguese. You get all of the Argentine league matches in Spanish. So um, it's a very very good product. And if you enjoy Copa Libertadores as much as I do, you get that on BN Sport. So that's for those of you here in, in North America, at least in the United States. I think in Canada, Fanatis is also available. I'm not 100% sure though. Check. Uh, you know, check check it out, Google it wherever you are, and see if it is available. Okay, let's move to the match now, and um, let's start by we we now we know the result, right? Benfica lose three to two at the Bessa. Let's start by hearing. Uh, let's let's listen to Roger Schmidt for a minute uh, in his post mass post match presser, and uh, let's see what what the manager, what the gaffer thinks of this loss and. Um, um, I'll give you my thoughts on what he thinks after this. Oh, was a, it was a special game, so the expected um, tough game. So um, yeah, it was a game where the, the opponent was high motivated, um, in the, at, especially at the beginning. So a lot of uh, um, fouls, and so it was not so much football on the pitch. But nevertheless, I think we we were able to score the one zero. Um, then in the second half, of course, it, uh, we, we got uh, the red card at the beginning of the uh, second half. Um, and then it was a different task. So unfortunately, uh, with the free kick, we all also uh, got the 1-1. One, one, so it makes it more difficult. But to be very honest, I was very happy how my, my players react. So I think we played a top game with 10 players. So we showed from the start after the red card that we want uh, nevertheless to win the game. We were able to create chances. Um, we still had not so many um, moments in the attacking. So we scored a second goal, um, very, very good goal. And uh, then it looked like we can win this game. And unfortunately, one long ball, um, a misunderstanding in the defense, and they got the penalty. 
Actually, in this moment, we um, we were fighting still for the for the third goal to win the game. So actually, we were already disappointed with one point, but that was can happen in football. No? So one counter attack, and then uh, we were not um, not perfect organized in in the rest defense, and they were able to to uh, score the third goal. So we are disappointed about uh, the result. I'm not disappointed about the performance. My players did everything. Uh, they played a very good game also with 10 players. We have to accept today. We have to be disappointed uh, tomorrow, and then we have to look forward to Saturday. So there's the manager, Roger Schmidt. And um, I know not everybody agrees with his analysis of the match. Um you know, just reading the social media and just knowing Benfica Nation the way I've gotten to know this fan base is um, it's a very results-oriented fan base. And that's not a bad thing, okay? But there is a time to analyze the performance as well, especially in, in match day one. Um, and for the most part, I agree with him. For the most part, I agree with him on what he just said. I think that, for the most part, the team did play well. The team reacted well, especially to the adversity of going down a man and managed to find what I think we all thought was a winner from Rafa there uh, to go up 2-1. to one. I did think we we had it there. I, I will say um, I can see why the manager is proud of his team uh, or proud of his players. It is early in the season. It, that needs to be remembered. And again, I'm, this isn't making excuses. This is making an analysis of what actually happened. And a lot of the neutral voices out there that, that, that watch this match and comment on it are saying this as well, saying the reality is Benfica didn't play all that bad of a match. I know what we want is we want them to take the pitch against everybody. We want to treat every team like a small team, and we want to bury everybody. And for the early portion of the season last year, we were able to do that. And I know that the fan base was expecting that type of start to the season this year as well. And to be honest, it very well could still be that. I mean, we need to to keep in perspective. 2013-2014 season started with a 2-1 loss at Maritimo, okay? The season finished with Benfica winning the title by seven points, okay? Seven points Benfica won the title by in 2013-2014. That was the first, the first of the four in the Tetra. So, it's, the, the, the league is not lost in the first season. It's definitely not won in the first, in the first week, excuse me, the first round of the season. Um, so, I do agree with them to an extent. I also think that... Roger got got his changes wrong in this one, and it's very easy to say that with hindsight being twenty twenty. Um, let's go through the occurrences of the match here, okay? And I'll start with the lineups. Let's go through that, and we'll go through the way we normally do, where we work our way through the the different things that happen in the match, and um, we will cross those bridges when we get there as to you know the the moments that really define the match. But I think. This was one match where I thought Roger got just about all the substitutions wrong, but at the same time, absolutely can understand why those changes were made. I absolutely understand the thinking behind it, and and so many times those exact changes work. This was one day where they just didn't, and um, it, you know, at first I I saw it one way. 
And now being 48 hours removed from this match, I kind of have a different different take, uh, maybe a more um, balanced take on this match. So I will work my way through it now. This this episode, we're already, you know, we're already well over a half hour and I haven't even started talking about this match. So I'm going to get into this match right now. Um, let's take a look at the lineups. Okay, we'll start with the home side. The Panthers of Boa Vista, managed, of course, by one of my favorite Benfica players of all time, Petit. Petit is a guy I would love in this midfield right now. He doesn't have to play every day, but I would love to have that kind of hard-nosed number six that can just go in and be a pit bull. Um, I'm a big fan of Petit as a manager, too. I'm happy to see him having success. I know Boa Vista going through a very, very tough time right now. Um, you know, the... As Reg, as the American player Reggie Cannon said, you know he he terminated his contract because he wasn't paid. Uh, the club denies that, but it's kind of hard to uh, deny that. I he's not playing right now, so for him to be you know not playing, I have every reason to believe that he is at least owed money. Maybe he was paid, but not paid what he's owed. Um, we'll see how that case unfolds. But you, you know, also we saw this club have their stadium. Uh, suspended through the preseason because of a fungus that grew on the pitch, which was bizarre because the Portuguese women's national team played their send-off match there in front of a, a fantastic crowd, and there was no issues with the pitch that night. And then a couple weeks later, there's a fungus on it. But anyway, they they hustled. They got the the situation resolved. The pitch was not in great in great condition, but it was good enough to hold the match. And um, Petit. Comes out with a 4-2-3-1 formation. His goalkeeper, of course, is the Portuguese goalkeeper, 22-year-old João Gonçalves. I believe he is an academy product. Right back, 22-year-old Portuguese Pedro Malheiro, another academy product, if I'm not mistaken. The the left back is the Nigerian 24-year-old Oni Maichi. Very a name I apologize in advance for absolutely butchering. I do apologize. And the center back pairing for Bovista, you have Chidozi Awaziem, uh, the another Nigerian, 26 year old in the middle of the defense, partnering with the Uruguayan Rodrigo Abascal, who's 29 years old. Uh, double pivot in front of that back for the Congolese 26 year old. Gaius Makuta, who was at the center of some controversy in this match, partnering with the captain, the Colombian Sebastian Perez, 30-year-old defensive midfielder. In front of those two in the double pivot is the attacking three. The number 10 is Miguel Jezinho, 24-year-old Portuguese attacking midfielder. To his right, the veteran Salvador Agra, now 31 years old, former Benfica property not really a Benfica he never suited up for Benfica but he was under contract to Benfica once upon a time we sent him on like three different loans uh back when we signed everybody in the, we could to keep them off of Porto's payroll uh Salvador Agra unfortunately one of the victims of of that you know of those politics of that time uh now a 31 year old right-sided midfielder who is a former Portugal Olympic player uh Never made it to the full national team, but one of the more consistent veterans in this league, and I think he's one of the. He's had some really, really good seasons in the league, playing for 
uh, playing for Nacional de Madeira and I think Portimonense as well, if I'm not mistaken. He's played on a number of teams in the league. And um, again, he always plays well against Benfica. And on the other side, on the left for Bovisha is 19-year-old academy product Thiago Moraes, who uh, was on loan last year at Les Choins and now finds himself in the starting 11 for the first team. And they're playing behind the Slovakian striker, 23-year-old Robert Bosnik, who had himself a career match, I think, in this one. Uh, a match that he will certainly never forget. Man of the match here for Bovista. For Benfica, at the other end, Roger Schmidt begins the title defense in the very um, habitual 4-2-3-1 formation. Odie is the goalkeeper, much to the dismay of many of you, I know. And I'm going to have to address this in this episode, okay? Um, this was a horrible day for Odie. And um, perhaps the last impression left from this goalkeeper after all this time at this club, after two championships, after two trips to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, it, it ends in a sad, if it is in fact ending here, it is in a sad, uh, sad way. I'll get to my thoughts on the what's what may be in the future for Odie after we go through these uh, through this match. Assuming I remember, of course. But he gets the start here. The right back, of course, is Alexander Ba. The left wing back is David Urasek, the Czech wing back. He was uh, preferred over Mihalo Ristic by Roger Smith. And that probably is based on the performance of the two in the Super Cup. No surprise. In the middle of the defense, the captain, Nicolas Otamendi, partnering with... Antonio Silva now wearing Louis Zones number four. And I like that. I like that for Antonio Silva. Um, I wish we would get these Academy products out of the high numbers sooner. Glad to see him wear the number four here. The double pivot in front of this back four. Um, and there was some talk throughout the week as to who was going to start. I thought we were going to see Florentino in this one. Um, this match to me tells me that we play better and I think every other central midfielder plays better partnered with Florentino Luis. Um, but Roger goes with a more attack-minded, a less of a holding mid, and more of a true double pivot with João Neves, Johnny Snows, partnering with our new signing, Orkun Kokchu, the Turkish international who joins us from Feyenoord for, if I'm not mistaken, a record transfer fee for the club. Um, a transfer fee that quite frankly, upset <laughs> our rivals in the league. Uh, the fact that we were able to make that type of a deal and bring that this type of a player to Portugal. I know a lot of you guys are, are starting to be down on this guy. I'm telling you, be patient, okay? It, it's, again, if I can remember over the course of this episode, if it doesn't run too long, I'll give you some of the differences and why this is not like Enzo last year. Yes, Enzo came in and fit like a glove from minute one. Uh, it's not fair to have that same expectation of Kokchu, and at some point I do, I think, you know, if not in this episode, and another, I will explain why that's not a fair expectation, okay, because the two situations are not the same. He gets to start here, of course, as a record signing. In the attacking midfield three, in front of this double pivot, Rafa lines up in the number 10 position. For me, it's the position I like him in. Um, he he always has the ability to switch out wide, but I like him starting from the number 10 uh, because he is able to 
break lines on the dribble. And um, with the two players he has on both sides, we don't necessarily need him going to the flank, but he is able to do that if, if the match calls for it. To his left, he has Frederick Auschnes. And to his right, do not adjust your earbuds now, okay? Um, in case you were under a rock all summer, it's the official return to the league for one. Angel Di Maria returns to Benfica after, what, 12 years, 13 years away from the club. Angelito is back. Now he's wearing the number 11, and he is starting, obviously, in this one for Benfica. And the the man with the spotlight here after the sale of Gonzalo Ramos is the going into this match very in form Peter Musa uh Nino likes to call him uh, Peter Parker you'll hear an audio bit in a little while where he refers to him as Peter Parker which uh is his nickname for him this was a golden opportunity for Peter Musa to make a name for himself and to to remind Roger Schmidt hey I want this position I know we just signed uh Artur um Artur Cabral from Fiorentina and um Peter Musa has an opportunity here before Artur is ready to play to say hey don't forget me I'm still here okay I'm the one scoring goals in preseason I'm the one that you know iced the match against Porto last week and this was going to be a rare start for Musa and an opportunity to prove he can be a starter. Personally, I don't view him as a starter for Benfica. I view him as a super sub. I think he's most effective on this team in that role, at least at this stage of his career. Unfortunately for, for Musa, he does not do too much in this match to change mine or anyone else's mind. That is of that opinion. So there are your... Your 22 players taking the pitch here at the Stadio Dubessa uh, 21st century, as they call it. Uh, of course, the referee in this match was... The referee was... I'm sorry, it was Antonio Nobre. Okay, and this was played in front of a very good, healthy crowd of 21,320. Um, again... The league and the clubs did some work this weekend to get people in the stands, and it shows. All right, so the match starts off, and I think Benfica get a good start to the match. Um, again, we went over the lineup. We went over the 11 that were selected by Schmidt, no, Fiorent no Florentino. Um, and he goes with Juracek as the wingback over over uh, Ristich. I think Ristich and Juracek could be a evolving, uh, I don't want to say rivalry, but contest for that starting left-back position. It, it, it could be very much whichever one's in form starts. That could be the story for the season. You would like to see one of them win their spot. And Roger talked in the in the post-match presser, as you heard at the top there, uh, about a lot of fouls. And, I mean, it was in the very first minute, okay, Antonio Nobre reaches for his pocket and shows Bovis's Miguel Rezinho a yellow card for a foul against Rafa. The Casa Rafa, as we call it, hacking Rafa, starts right at the beginning. Um, if you could have the first opportunity of the match, uh, after successfully defending a corner kick that was conceded by Auschnitz. And um, then in the sixth minute, it's an opportunity for Bovista. It is Bosnick 
with a right-footed shot from the left side of the box blocked by the defense. It was blocked, I think, by Antonio Silva, if I'm not mistaken, and conceded for another corner, but the corner was dealt with in the ninth minute. Benfica with a really good opportunity here. Frederick Auschnitz with a left-footed shot from the left side of the box saved in the bottom left corner by Gonçalves. He was set up by Angel Di Maria. In the 11th minute, another card goes in the book for Gaius Makuta. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the one that could have already and should have, in my opinion, especially with the criteria that was established throughout you know, the rest of the match or established in the second half. And I'm not... I'll, I'll get to my feelings on, on Musa's red card. But this one... I don't. This should have been reviewed by the VAR, okay? And uh, it was not. The referee's yellow card is all that that is shown to Makuta. And you can make an argument that Benfica should have gone up a man ten minutes in. And I don't buy the argument that that ruins. You know that it's somehow the referee's responsibility to not send somebody off in the tenth minute. The referee's job is to arbitrate the events that happen in the match, not to have an influence in, you know, the tone or in the flow of the match. That is a misconception that a lot of people have with referees that I don't agree with, and I do think that at least should have been given another look. If he looks at the monitor and still. Again, this is where I stand a lot of times on VAR on these close ones. I will accept if you go to the monitor, or I'll more likely accept if you go to the monitor, you watch it, and you still stand by your call. I can live with that a lot better than if you don't look at it. Okay. Um, another yellow card three minutes later. This time it's for Sebastian Perez. Uh, he fouls Kokchu. But Benfica gaining control here early. And um, getting territory as well, which is very important. And in the 22nd minute, well, I'll let Nino tell you. Listen to this. This is an epic call. And I wish the final result had been different because that would have made this call even more epic. But here's Nino here in the United States on Goal TV. And the return of Angelito Di Maria. What a call <laughs> and uh, what a goal. I mean, it was uh, a ball won by Rafa on a counter using his pace to get into into space, to get in behind. And just as Boavista's defender tries to close Rafa down and just as the goalkeeper tries to cut the angle, he slides it across the face of the goal for a wide open Angel Di Maria to reopen his goal scoring tab with Benfica 13 years later. Angel Di Maria scores again for Benfica in the league. He had scored. He also scored in the Super Cup, as you know. But in the league, thir- if my math is, is correct, 13 years later, he returns to the score sheet in the League of Portugal. Benfica take the lead. And, I mean, 
I was ecstatic. I thought we were on our way to an emphatic opening round victory after that. And the team, you know, was playing fine. They were getting the job done, controlling the match, limiting Boavista's opportunities at that point. And uh, that came in minute 22. And the Benfica fans were just enormous. Once again, I mean, the Benfica fans came to play once again. The flares go off. I know that's illegal. These people are risking their freedom. They're they're risking their, you know, whatever. You know, they're risking, you know, legal action. And they're lighting these flares. And they're singing. And it's just a fantastic uh, atmosphere at the Bessa. And the Bessa is a special stadium for us Benfiquistas. Okay, those of you not old enough to remember, okay, um, the, those of us a little older remember a time ba- way back when, when the Stadio de Luz, the new Luz was being built and the old one had been knocked down, that, that in-between period. We had to use, we used Bessa as a home in a Champions League preliminary round against, if I'm not mistaken, Lazio. We used Bessa as our home match, as our home stadium. We played our league home games at the Jamor that season. We were just like Bissad, except we actually put a few more people in the stands. If I'm not, and if my memory serves me correct, uh, Sporting was also using the the Jamor that season as both of our stadiums were going up. Um, but we played our European home matches that season at the Bessa. And um, it's a special stadium for me personally because that's where, you know, where I believe the, the Vietnam ended was in that stadium. It was in 2004-2005. That penalty from Simão, the 1-1 draw that sealed Benfica. Returning to the crown, winning the title, finally... After an 11-year drought, I'll never forget that match. I mean, the the Bessa was painted in red that day. There was only a tiny little section behind one goal for Boavista fans. The rest was all Benfica supporters. Uh, you know, we celebrated in the Rotunda Boavista in there down their Avenida, and I remember the 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 festa, the party all the way the the rolling bus party. This was before the Marques was a thing. And the rolling bus party all the way to the the Sacramento Airport in in uh, Porto, onto the plane to the Delgado Airport in Lisbon, and in Portela, and then all the way to the Stadio de Luz, where it was filled with people. They had filled the Stadio de Luz, and we did we did another trophy presentation at the Luz. Okay, we lifted the trophy, and the fans rushed the pitch. There was, like I said, no Jamor at that time. That this was the last title before the advent of the Jamor, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it was a special one because it was the first time. Because the previous title for me in '94, I was 11 years old. I didn't even have RTP. I watched the video cassette of it months later when we finally got around. When my father got a copy of it and managed to copy it so we could watch it. Um. So this was that was the first Benfica title that I experienced, and I remember just having the television glued to RTP for I don't know ten straight hours, watching every minute of it. The way the way we're so used to doing on BTV now, and watching all of the celebration, that was the first time. It was amazing, 
And uh, so that stadium, I do believe, is a very special place for Benfica fans. And to take the lead there in the opener and to take it into halftime, I was feeling confident. Um, we saw in the Super Cup, Schmidt had to make changes at halftime. Here, it didn't look like we were going to need to make any more changes, right? It didn't look like we were going to need to make any sudden changes, I should say. It didn't look like um, any kind of trouble was on the horizon. Uh, Bovisha does make a halftime substitution, though. Bruno Lorenzo comes on. And Bruno Lorenzo replaces Miguel Gazzinho, who obviously was already in the book along with two of his teammates. But then, just four minutes later, this game gets flipped on his head. And uh, the whole trajectory of this match changes. And the whole narrative of round one for us and for this podcast changes. Right here. Here's the moment as uh, we heard it here in North America. So, Petr Musa, a.k.a. Peter Parker, sees a straight red there. And at the time, uh, you heard Nino's reaction there. Um, at the time, I was thinking the same exact thing. I said how I was 90% confident that the referee was going to be called to the VAR monitor. He was going to look at it. He was going to see that he stepped on the ball. And he was going to rescind the red card and make it a yellow. That's what I. Uh, that's what I thought. And there's even, you know, an angle there where you see that the Boavista player, and this is horrible luck, but he actually twists his ankle before Musa comes down on his ankle. It, it was a double, it was just a double whammy. Um, it was a freak ex, a freak uh, series of events as, um, you know, they both arrive at the ball around the same time the Boavista player's ankle rolls inwards. Um and then Musa rolls foot rolls off the ball and right onto his ankle. At the time, I was in agreement, and um, having chance to think about it and watch it a few more times, I'm coming around to the the realization that that's probably still a red card. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I have to admit that I don't know the rule as well as maybe I should definitely don't know it as well as a referee I had reached out to a couple ref friends looking for an answer looking for an interpretation but at the time of recording here I don't have a response yet um 
So I don't know if that I honestly don't know. Perhaps I'm reading the quote unquote experts and 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 that's in air quotes, you know, in the Portuguese uh media, the former the ex referees, if you will, the Duarte Gomes and uh, the Pedro Henriques and the the Jorge Croado and I didn't even get a chance to get Antonio Rola's um thoughts on this one. Uh I wish I had it would have been useful just to get the different perspectives. But of the ones I did read, only George Croado believes that the red card was incorrect. So I'm led to believe that maybe that is the rule, that the fact that he rolled over the ball is irrelevant. And if that's the case, I accept it. What I don't accept is the fact that that criteria is not applied to the other team. And we talked about Makuta you know, still being on the pitch and benefiting from the fact that his challenge that had a similar contact, okay, without slipping off the ball, the fact that uh, his was forgiven, assumingly for the mere fact that it uh, happened in the first 10 minutes and the old, you know, in a lot of the, the teams in this league run with the old adage that in the first couple minutes you can get your shots in, Um I disagree with that. I, I'm not going to complain about this sending off. Okay. However, this does change. This changes the match. It does not. Befica do not lose because they go to 10 men. Okay. Befica even regain the lead with 10 men. However, lo- losing Musa forces Roger's hand into a substitution that personally I believe my instinct at the time he made it, I didn't like it. I understand it. I understood it. And and listen, I wouldn't be shocked if the other 17 managers in the league would have made the same exact change, okay? You're up a man, or you're going to go down a man now. You're winning at this moment, and you have a player who you've absolved essentially of any defensive responsibilities and rightfully so when you have an Angel Di Maria, you do not want him burning kilometers and burning fuel defending. However, once you go down a man, that becomes a luxury that you don't necessarily need. And Roger opts for bringing on Di Maria. Again, at the time, I didn't like it. I said, you're losing your your most dangerous player. The one we've gotten used already to attacking through a key key component of our attack, a key component in our goal-scoring you know, creation. And um, it's not like Roger to sit on a one-goal lead, and I don't know that that's what he was trying to do. However, I think his error, more so than removing Di Maria, for me, is adding Morato and changing the back three. And again, I understand it. And there was some good debate going on online about this. You know, there's some coaches out there that understand this. The idea was to go to a back three to allow the two wing backs to get forward. Because normally when you play with 10 in a back four, the, the wing back, you, you now play with a back four. And the wing backs don't get forward the same. And I... I'm assuming this is this was the plan for the red card, okay? Or this is the plan when a red card occurs in an attacker is to bring on a third center back and play with three across the back. And that might have very well been a good decision if not 
for the subsequent free kick. Okay. And I just watched it again. Okay. I just paused it and watched it again. And on Lateral Schierdo, a very, very fantastic uh, blog on their Patreon page, Pedro Bosic of Canalons breaks down the goal. He breaks down all three goals that Benfica allow. And on this one, he, he freeze frames it. And you can see the error starts in the preparation. Okay. The ball is in the left center channel. That's where the free kick is being taken. I don't know, about 25 meters from goal, maybe maybe a little further. Uh, maybe about halfway from the edge of the center circle to the edge of the penalty area, more or less, okay, in the left center channel. And uh, Benfica load up the penalty area. They make a line across the maybe just a little bit higher than the penalty spot. And interestingly, in how they positioned themselves, Moratu just comes on. Okay, this is the substitution. Moratu on, Di Maria off. Full disclosure: I of Benfica people, I, I think I'm the lowest on Moratu. Um, I he he's just not my kind of of center back. Okay, he's just yeah, he can pass the ball great. Um, I like a little more. I like a little more vision, a little more two-footedness, perhaps. Maybe a little bit more. Um, and it's, and I'm not saying he can't gain this, but I just like a better defender as a center back. Yes, passing out of the back is important, especially in a league like ours, on a team like ours. But I really would prefer to have Lucas Verissimo right now over him. Okay, but anyhow. It is it is Moratu who comes on. It's the, he's the guy Roger believes in. Okay, and Roger has not been shy about that. He believes in Moratu, and he actually thought that Moratu did a good job to stabilize the team after the one-one. Um, I didn't see it that way, but but again, I have a different view. I'm watching on television. He's watching on on the touchline. The game doesn't look the same from those two vantage points. And he may be specifically watching Moratu, especially off the ball, and liking what he's seeing. So under, understood. Um, but on this one, he, for whatever reason, they make a line across. Otamendi is in the center. To his right is Alexander Ba. And to his right is the very left-footed um, Moratu. Behind Otamendi to the left is where you find uh, Antonio Silva. And... Again, I'm going to back this up one more time so I can tell you exactly who's who's lined up behind Antonio Silva here. And, um, of course, this isn't rewinding the way I wanted to, but okay. So, it is, it's, oh, okay, it is, it is Eurosec, okay. And Eurosec becomes a key player in this, uh, in this, situation as well so th that's the line from left to right Eurosec, Antonio Silva Otamendi Ba and uh, Moratu everyone basically playing on their weak side this is obviously how they practice this okay this comes from the training round they're defending a set piece so this was planned um, how much of it you know Moratu was included in I don't know but Anyhow, he, he clearly knows his, his assignment and he lines up. However, 
As Pedro Bolsas will point out, they're waiting for the ball to be sent in. The first ball, instead of being sent in, is played wide. So rather than crossing the ball from the center left channel, it's going to come all the way from the far left, touchline wide. And what needed to happen here was Morato needed to drop, okay? And he's a little bit high on the line. He's he's in front of Ba. Um, the ball is played over his head as a result. Ba also out of position a little high. He also needed to drop. So the two of them are out of position. Otamendi tries to react, but it's too late when he realizes that it's it's you know that they're too high. They didn't drop enough, and. Bovish are able to get the flick towards the, the back post as a result. Otamendi arrives late. Now that leaves his position and his ability to block the ensuing shot. You know, that, that makes it null and void. Takes him out of position. And the original ball comes across. Urasic can't get rid of it. He, it, it even, in, um, at, at match speed, at live speed, it even looked like in real time like he was he had handled it. He didn't, but it looked it that way. He was not he was caught flat footed a little bit. And as a result the ball falls for Bonacek for the uh for the Slovakian striker. And he fires on goal and to go along with the defense being completely flat footed, Odie is completely flat footed. And the ball does take a deflection, and he doesn't react, and it hits him, but it's not enough to keep it out. And Boavista have leveled 1-1 at that point, okay, just after the 50th minute, and um, it's a mess. It's a structural mess. It's not so much an individual uh, mistake, but it is poor positioning from a number of players. Well, it's it's a chain reaction, really, of poor positioning from two players, that then force another player to overreact to try to compensate, which then again has a domino effect and pulls other guys out of position as everyone tries to shift inward, leaving Yurasek unable to to um, unable to to deal with the ball, and uh, it ends up in the back of our goal. And just like that, it is one-one in a match that was comfortable in a matter of seconds is turned on its head. And again, I think this substitution by Schmidt is probably not a bad substitution if Benfica do not concede on the very next kick of the ball. Okay, um, And now all of a sudden you need a goal and you've taken off the guy that's most likely to, uh, to create the opportunity that's going to give you that goal. Whether he's going to score it or set it up. And that's about the worst thing that can happen as a manager. <laughs> you know, when you're on the bench and every coach has been there. You make that substitution, and just like that, now you are a victim of that substitution. And um, it takes a few minutes, but if you could do stabilize, I think Smith Schmidt gets that right when he says that you know the back three does stabilize, and the wing backs do start getting forward. And Benfica with ten men are in total control. I think Boavista also retreats more than they needed to. I think they invited Benfica forward. They invited us forward here, and Benfica made the most of it. And we saw a play um, shortly thereafter where Rafa gets in behind. The defender from Bovisha makes an absolute mess of it. I don't recall exactly which defender it was. 
but he makes a mess of it. The ball is bouncing. D, um, Rafa's able to get around him and get a chip on it. He gets under it. He lofts it over the goalkeeper, but the ball pings off of the crossbar, and Benfica nearly go ahead 2-1. to one. Uh, That chance came in... That chance came, let's see here, it came in the 69th minute, okay? Before that, uh, we do see Petit making a substitution, okay? Petit brings on two players, okay? it's one. It, once it's 1-1, Petit uh, makes a very Portuguese uh, substitution is the best I can call it as he starts playing for the 1-1 here. And... Um, Felipe Ferreira replaces Abascal, and I think Felipe Ferreira is the the player that makes the mistake a few minutes later that allows Rafa to nearly put Benfica back ahead. And Ilya Vukotic replaces Makuta, who is lucky to still be on the pitch here. Makuta also appeared to have conceded a penalty at a, at another point in the match, and again the VAR did not call the referee to the to the monitor to take a look at it. And once again, it is that inconsistency and criteria that gets us crazy about referees. Overall, I don't have as negative of a rating for this referee as maybe you all do. I've also watched the majority of this match twice now. And um, it wasn't that bad is my my overall verdict. I don't like the way it went, but um, you can understand the calls. I'm more disappointed or more frustrated by the VAR's lack of of action here. Um, and it's it's quite possible the referee told the VAR that he saw it and he doesn't need to see it again. I mean, we again, we don't have access to these conversations, so we don't know. It may be completely legitimate. It may be, you know, every T could have been crossed, every I could have been dotted. Uh, it's very possible they discuss these things and... They did it right, but because we don't have access to these conversations, we don't know this, and it leaves us to speculate. So again, that was in the 63rd minute. In the 65th, Rafa goes in the book for a card. Um, Urasek has his left-footed shot blocked from outside the box in the 66th. Uh, Kokchu set him up. And then, like I said, in the 69th, Rafa gets in around Ferreira, and he 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 beats Gonçalves. The ball just goes off the crossbar and stays out, and is just out of the reach of Kokshu, who's arriving just a, a moment late to to put it in. So Benfica still behind here. In the 74th, Rafa with another opportunity, right-footed shot from outside the box. This one was blocked again. He's set up by Kokshu. Kokshu coming alive. Kokshu does a lot of little things right. Um. I'll talk about him in a moment when we talk about the Super Cup as well, when we get to that. But um, I know he's not setting the world on fire. Players were expecting Enzo. They were expecting this guy to be Enzo the moment he he put on the number 10 jersey. And he's got the added pressure. It is true of the number 10 jersey. But he's doing things I like. Um, you have to watch the game a little closer. But he is adapting. He d- There will be a learning curve for him, okay? And I guess it's the time to say what I was going to say what I kind of teased earlier in that there's a big difference between Enzo joining Benfica at the height of his season. Okay. Remember that Enzo had played an entire group stage of the Copa Libertadores with River Plate had played, you know, two thirds of the, 
or more of the Argentine League had played a round of 32 or a round of 16 of the, of the Copa Libertadores as well and was literally peaking when he arrived at Benfica and that's why he fit in so well. Okay, Cockshoe's arriving in preseason. It is a different animal. He's not as fit as he will be in six, eight weeks from now, okay? And um, it makes it harder to adapt. He's never played outside of the Netherlands, okay? He's never played um, against teams that, that, that sit as much as the teams he's seen, whether it be the preseason matches with Burnley or whether it be, you know, in this match here with Boavista, he is still adjusting to life in Portugal, adjusting to being outside of, yes, he's a Turkish international, but he's living outside of the Netherlands for the first time in his life. And um, it's all an adjustment. And uh, I'm seeing things I like, so I am very confident in how he's going to evolve this season. But then, in the 75th minute, and he's at the center of it again, he gets on the end of a cross from Juracek. Uh, he can't put it away, but it does uh, set up uh, this. So here it is from the ball. It starts with Rafa knocking the ball wide to Juracek, and uh, here is how it played out from there. Beautiful. Nal Sebas. And this is Juracek. They control this shot from Kaku. They let me hit it. They pop it. Here goes Rafa. Rafa to the rescue. Rafa to the rescue. Rafa Silva playing the role of the leader. He leads by example. He's not one of many words. If at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. Kokshu's shot saved by Gonsalves. The rebound to Nevsh saved by Gonsalves. Sorry, go, does it go off the bar? Either way, it falls to Rafa and Rafa heads in the rebound. And Rafa makes it 2-1 to Benfica, to the visitors. And I will admit that even after, about five minutes after the game was, you know, after the lead was squandered and it was 1-1, I was quite confident that we were going to find a winner. And I thought this was it. I thought Rafa had found it. And I think Roger Schmidt did as well. And Roger, you know, maybe this is... Maybe he's answering to the pressure of having a deeper squad. Maybe he's, you know, remembering the criticisms of not substituting enough last season. I am always more on the side of not substituting if you don't actually need it. Um, I think too many managers in the game, especially now with five substitutions, make five substitutions for the sake of making them. And um, I think Roger... Goes to the bench needlessly here in the 85th minute. If he could not under any pressure, really. And in the 85th minute, he makes a triple change. And um, I really think the only thing he needed to do here, and he could have done it a little earlier, was bring on Nedish. I don't know what, what uh, David Nedish's 
fitness level is at right now, if he's being subbed in with five minutes to play, of course, we have to remember now, football matches are 100 minutes going from now on. Uh, it's going to be an average of 100 minutes or more. So these late substitutions are going to be later than we're used to. This is going to be a little bit of a, a learning curve for all of us here. Uh, he goes and he brings on Nedish for Rafa. I can live with that. Rafa had run a lot in this match. Um, he'd had a, one of the better matches we've seen him have in, in quite some time. And uh, you want to get Nedish on the pitch and you want to get him some touches, especially since you know he missed he missed the Super Cup. But um, he, he he goes and he he switches up the center mids as well, the double pivot. On comes Shikinu and Tinu. I think he only needed to make one switch. I think you bring Tino on. I don't think you needed to bring Shikinu on. I don't think you set up Shikinu to succeed here. Um, I don't know. Either Kochu or Nevs, whichever one needed to come off, could have come off. Uh, and you could have left on the other. And I think you would have had a more solid midfield. I think you would have had fewer changes because late in the game, changes lead, can lead to chaos. And unfortunately, what what resu- what would happen here was nothing more than chaos here in the final moments. We move to the 87th minute. Um, s- sorry, we move a little further than that. We move closer to the 90th minute. And again, it does actually happen here in the 87th first. So the ball is played in. And the ball is lofted into the area, okay, uh, to the edge of the area. And there's a mistake here. By It's a rare mistake, but Otamendi and, and Antonio Silva are not communicating. One's dropping, the other's stepping, and they literally practically bump into each other. They go up with the... They go up with... Um, with the Boavista striker there, the number nine, his name's escaping me now. Uh, they both go up together, and what happens is rather than one going for the ball and the other sliding and getting in position to win the second ball, they both go up, they're both in the air, and the ball goes in behind. Neither one of them is there, forcing Odie to come out of his goal. I'm not, this is not an excuse for Odie. I'm not defending Odie here. Odie is a major. He's made one of the major um, responsible parties for this. But, however, there were mistakes made in front of him that also need to be addressed. And maybe this is where some of Otamendi not uh, missing part of preseason may have come in. Um, both he and, and Antonio Silva jumped for the same ball. That can't happen in that stage. The 86th minute, 87th, which lets the ball, you know, flick into the penalty area Odie comes out, freezes. Uh, he doesn't go for the. He doesn't get the ball. He doesn't clo- close the angle. He allows the Bovista striker to to play it across his body, across goal. Odie gets a body part on it, but slides it right across his open goal, leaving Antonio Silva with no no option but to make a desperate tackle to spread himself out and slide. And uh, Antonio Silva takes down uh, the Boavista striker, Jediel DeSantis uh, is his name. That's the, the He's not a striker, but he is the player that was taken down by Antonio Silva. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I wish it wasn't the case. I wish I could complain about the call. Can't complain. 
Um, the referee points to the spot, rightfully so. And we know Odie's record uh, on penalties. Yeah, he's got that one save against Mbappe, but that's all he's got in all these years. And, you know, and uh, up steps, up steps uh, Bruno Lorenzo, uh, the substitute. And uh, he has a straight-on approach. He runs straight on. Odie dives to his left. The ball goes to his right. 2-2. Deflating at that point as uh, the goal is scored after the 90th minute. Um, we already know at this point we got 10 minutes of stoppage time. If you're Benfica, you're thinking, fine, we got plenty of time to grab a winner. I was thinking that. I'm sure Roger was thinking that. I'm sure every single player in red was thinking that. However, how short our memories are, think no further back than to Shavs last spring. Same thing. We went for it. We went for it. We went for it. And if the team didn't go for the win, we would be complaining that they sat on a 2-2. However, when you have 10 men and you're on the road and it's 2-2 and you've still got 10 minutes to go, and the other team's got the momentum now. You've allowed them back in. You've made mistakes. You have to be more careful. You have to be more careful. I'm going to analyze the winning goal here for, for Boavista. Okay? And this goal is a carbon copy of Shavs. Okay? Once again, Otamendi and Antonio are going up. Going for the win. Yeah, we like it. Except it has its risk. And we... We've been burned this way now twice, okay? We've lost six points in the last two seasons now. At the beginning of this season and in the crunch point of last season, which made the end of the season so much more stressful than it had to be, Otamendi and Antonio are way too high here. They're leaving They're leaving Moratu by himself, okay? And Moratu is 10 paces in front of the, the midfield line for whatever reason. And 10 spaces in front of him is Florentino. And Antonio loses the ball. Okay, Antonio loses the ball. Bovista gets it in their, in their midfield. Okay, they get it up to the free player. And suddenly it is two on one. Moratu is the only man in defense. Okay, the only man in position to do anything here. However, again, he, he is... A few steps in front of the center line, like I said. I said 10. It's probably more like 5. Um, he has about 10 paces of space between him and the ball. He's not. He cannot step to this ball. He has the striker running. Robert Bosnick, he's getting into space. He's got the entire pitch behind, behind Moratu. And he's still on his own half of the pitch. He cannot get him offside. Moratu, as a center back, has to have the instinct here. Yes, his teammate left him out to dry. His teammates left him out to dry. Okay? Again, this is just like last season. Okay? We are left with one player back. And he's somehow got to stop multiple players on the other team. Moratu needs to turn. Keep the ball in sight, but he needs to sprint back. He needs to get back on his half of the field. There is no reason to be stepping to the ball 60 yards from goal here when you have an attacker breaking in behind you and he's still got five paces before he crosses the midfield line before he can even possibly be offside. 
Moratu has to get on his horse, get back. He doesn't do that. He steps forward, and then worse, he takes a step and freezes. And my goodness, at 40 years old and having not touched a ball in years, I could have made this pass into space for Bosnick to go in and win the game. And, of course, the ball's delivered. We're burned. There is nobody within the zip code. There is nobody anywhere near uh, Robert Bosnick here. And Odie also doesn't. He he defends this one the same exact way he defended the the Shavs goal that beat us. 90 plus 13. Okay? 90 plus 13. Because, again, and you see it online. They're talking about how the referees were trying to give us enough to... Listen... There was a lot of time wasting in those 10 minutes. When time is wasted in stoppage time, you continue to add it on. You don't get to waste the stoppage time, okay? However, Benfica leaves themselves completely unprotected. And Morato makes a horrible, horrible decision. And for me, this is maybe the worst I have ever seen Morato play. He made grave mistakes in all, in virtually all three goals. Okay, he was out of position as well in the the goal that led to a penalty, and it's another reason why Otamendi and Antonio were in the same spot. Okay, that defense just was not organized. But in in the first and in the third goal, Moratu is either out of position or making a grave grave decision uh, error in decision making. And Odie gets in the hockey stance, as I call it. You know, he he comes out, arms up, and he tries to use his right foot to cut off the far post. And just like last year, the striker, knowing he's going to do that most likely because they study film, they know what these goalkeepers want to do, he goes to the near post, right around him, right over, right around Odie's left shoulder and inside the post. And just like that, three points become zero Bovista with a deserved victory. This is a clean goal. There is absolutely nothing you can say other than Odi and Moratu, even Otamendi and Antonio Silva all to blame on this one. And maybe even Roger once again, because I think when it's 2-2, Roger has to remind his, his defenders to be smart. This is round one on the road with 10 men. You take a point. In this situation, yeah, it sounds like a loser mentality. It sounds like you're going for a moral victory. No, you win the title by accumulating points. You have won. You don't give it away like this in the 100 and what third, the 103rd minute of the match, 90th plus 13. And yeah, it's a victory. It's a victory for Boavista, and it's a defeat for Benfica. And perhaps positive is we don't have to have any talk about being undefeated this year. There'll be none of that. There'll be no talk about, you know, coming out of the gates and um, waiting for us to slip up. We slipped up right at the beginning. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise. Uh, it very well could be. Let's go to the goal point now and see how that played out. And I'm going to stick to just Benfica's ratings in this one just because we are running real long and we still got to talk about the Super Cup. Odie, 4.6, a very, very poor performance. I think he'd be the first to tell you this. And um, I guess I'll address this now. Um, 
I don't see a way back for him right now. Um, perhaps Roger is going to give him one more opportunity. I know none of you want to hear that, but I, I think it depends on what the plan was when uh, Trubin was was signed, as the, most of you know. I don't have to tell you. Uh, the Ukrainian goalkeeper, Trubin, has been signed by Benfica. And um, many people want him start, wanted him to start this game, much less uh, next week. And I think that pressure affected Odie in this match. I think uh, he's not one that deals with competition well. Uh, he's someone that needs to be lifted up. He's someone who needs to be supported. And listen, I've had more. I have given more support to Odiseus Vlacodimos in the past three seasons than I think any podcaster. Okay, I have said that uh, because I don't find it productive to just hammer your goalkeeper when you don't have a replacement we now have a replacement however I think the I think the powers that be at the club Rui Costa, Rui Pedro Braz, Roger Schmidt have made a decision whether or not uh, OD is going to go if they want to keep two goalkeepers if they want to keep Odie and Trubin they cannot bench Odie right now if the plan is to let him go to move him then yes you bench him now okay because if you bench him now and you plan to keep him he's shattered in my opinion he is shattered and there's no coming back and Trubin could god forbid break his arm next week the week after knock on wood okay there you hear that he could injure himself and you may need Odie to step back in goal and with his confidence shattered I don't like the prospects of that I almost would rather go with Samuel or go and find a veteran that can come in and be a backup so the problem with signing a goalie I'm of the school of thought, and I've heard some pundits say this, that um, if you're going to bring in a goalkeeper, you need to get two goalkeepers because you got to go get a backup. Because I don't think Odie is that guy to be the backup. I don't think he'll be good in the locker room. I think there's guys he's close to, and I think it's going to divide the locker room. Um, the best thing to do if he is going to sit, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Roger's going to do because... Roger's not emotional like we are, okay? The emotional manager is going to bench the goalkeeper. Uh, If he benches Odie, I think Odie needs to be moved on to another team. I really do believe that. I don't think he can stay as a a backup. And you got to get out there on the market. You know, you have two weeks left, and you have to find a backup. Because you know what happened in the preseason? You used Samu as a backup, and uh, he... He failed, and he's going to fail because he's a young goalkeeper. And this could be a really bad situation if we need to call. If our choice for a starter now is a emotionally shattered Odysseus or an emotionally shattered Samu, it doesn't look good. So you need to get out there and find, even if he's 38 years old, you have to find a goalkeeper that can fill in at, when needed as a substitute, um, many of the commenters on on Canal Owens, because I was watching them their post match coverage, 
Uh, we're saying that, and this is, I think, a very Portuguese uh, thing to do as well, is to wait until the the cup, and that's when you make the change. You let him play a cup match first against the second or third division team and let him get his feet wet that way. If you're going to do that, um, you're going to have an Odie that's going to be nervous week after week, knowing that uh, his replacement's on the bench, and the next mistake is probably the last one. So if Roger is going to stick with Odie, there needs to be a public there needs to be a public statement of support for your goalkeeper which is going to unleash an unthinkable backlash from the Spurs. I don't want to be Roger on this one. Um I think the easiest thing to do and I've been a supporter or at least a defender of Odie more than anyone else, but I think the best thing to do is to find a new home for him um, because they, you will not be forgiven if you stick with him and we have another match, another performance like this. Okay, If another two points get dropped next week or the week after that and he is the goalkeeper, there will be no forgiveness for that. And suddenly, Roger is going to be on the hot seat. It doesn't take long, right or wrong, and I don't believe it's right, and um, I'm already reading people who want to to sack him, saying he's not quality enough for Benfica, which is, again, a a baffling thought that people, after everything we accomplished last season, in his first season, think that he can't coach because in this match, the changes didn't go well. Um, it's a delicate situation dealing with goalkeepers. Personally, and I don't have to be the one to make this decision, which makes it easier to say this, but I think it's time to hand the 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 number one position to the number one jersey. Trubin, it's no mistake that he was given the number one jersey. But then you have an Odie situation. You have to sit him down. You have to talk to him. You have to figure out where his head is at, where his heart is at, if he can take this. He's being you know insulted online, on social media. He, his family... Um, and that's not easy to deal with either. He he knows that he had a bad match, and God forbid you could need him again in three weeks. Um, it's something that needs to be really handled delicately and handled carefully. And perhaps I'd like to think that they have already got a plan in place, and that they have, in a perfect world, identified a new backup. And that they have lined up perhaps an interested buyer for Odie. Because on many teams, he, he will do just fine. Teams that don't have the same demands that we do. Um, I don't know. Well, the next the next four days are going to be interesting. The next four days are going to be interesting. And um, Rogers got a major decision very, very early in the season to make here. Okay, 4.6 for Odie. Now that I've addressed that, Ba 6.5, Antonio 6.9, Otamendi 6.2, Juracek. He would get injured in this one also and be replaced by Mihalo uh, Ristic. And we now know he is going to miss up to four weeks with an injury. Uh, so Ristic is going to slide into the left back position. And that is who we have now for the, for the next month or so um, through the international break. In midfield, Kokchu with a 6.0, Dronevs 6.3, Di Maria 7.1 in a short outing, just 50 minutes. Rafa is the man of the match. Um, 
on goal point as far as ratings go with a 7.5, a goal and an assist. Musa with a one of the lowest ratings I've ever seen for a Benfica player here with a 3.4. Okay, uh, Looking at just a few of the statistics, Benfica with 15 shots to Bovista's 11. Five of those on goal to Bovista's 4. Benfica's XG is 2.2, Bovista's 2.0, each team with three corners. Pass efficiency, Benfica slightly better, 83% to 80%, but really that's that's a wash. Same thing in the vertical pass efficiency, 65%, a little low for Benfica to 63 for Bovista. That's essentially a wash as well. Benfica with 14 defensive actions in the opponent's midfield, but uh, again, only a 2.2. Uh, XG to show for it, and uh, 53% possession for Benfica. The stat that matters most, 3-2 in, in favor of Boa Vista. Okay, let's uh, go down the results now in the rest of the league. The round round one, I should say, started on Friday. As we said, Braga hosting Fumalicão. Fumalicão. 2-1 winners after Ricardo Horta put uh, the Bishops ahead in the ninth minute. And then goals from Afonso Rodrigues and Oscar Aranda in stoppage time gave Fama the win in this Minu derby. Again, this was played at the Municipal Stadium in Braga. Just under 20,000 in attendance for this one. Saturday's matches... We stay up north, Gilles Vicente hosting Portimonense, and it was a goal fest for the Gilistas. Fujimoto with two goals for Gilles Vicente, one in the ninth, one in the 45th, plus five, and then a goal for Pedro Tiba, another for Tijani Torre, and finally, Gabriel Pereira closes it out in the 90th, plus five, five nil win for Gilles Vicente, full house of 3,600. At the Estadio Cidade de Barcelos. Uh, in Algarve, Farense beaten badly at home at the San Luis. In front of 3,953. Casa Pia traveled to Algarve and come away 3-0. Winners goals from Clayton, Pablo and Xavier Godwin. And then Saturday night, Sporting at home against Vizela. Attendance for this one, 37,152. The arrival of Victor Gorkis uh, with two goals in the first quarter of an hour, one in the 14th, one in the 15th. But Vizela would power back in the second half with a goal from Samuel Isende in the 75th. Nuno Moreira pulling Vizela level in the 77th, but only for Paulinho to win it for the Lions in the 90th. Plus nine, three points for Humanamuri. And his sporting side to start the season. They are ecstatic. Sunday, Riuav, 2-0 winners at home to Shavsh. Goals in this one for Leandro Ruiz and Zé Manel. Staying on Sunday at the Rebuleira. I do believe, I don't think this was at the Jamor. No, it was at the Estadio José Gomes, which is the Rebuleira in Amadora. 4,300 in attendance. I believe that's a full house as well. Strela returned to the first division, but it was the traveling side from Minu. It was the Guerreiros do Minu. Oh, I'm sorry, the Conquistadores, excuse me. Jota Silva with the header 
putting Vitória Guimarães ahead 1-0 in the 24th minute. Vitória wins 1-0 on the road and after the match manager uh, their manager Moreno steps down resigns as manager shocking and again this is the side of Portuguese football I will never understand you are at a good job you have a good team I know you failed to get to even the the playoff round of the Europa Conference League but Vitória Guimarães is one of the top jobs in Portugal if you're not in the big three Moreno steps down and I'm sure there's more there than uh, what I'm aware of but uh, a little bit of a shocker and it only took <laughs> round one to get our first coaching departure in the Liga Portugal it is the same circus as it always has been Roca in between uh, crucial European uh, preliminary ties uh, hosting Istoril, and they play in front of only 1,752, and uh, attendance is a problem at Roca. This is a team that finished fifth last year. Again, we're going to be centralizing TV rights. We cannot have teams with 1,700 fans in a stadium that I think holds 4,000 people. Just over a quarter of uh, its capacity. But on the pitch, it goes Roca's way. A crazy match, a seven-goal thriller, uh, an absolute circus match. Um, but Roca are the winners on this one. They start the season with three points. And then we know on Sunday, Morenes won Porto 2. Morenes' goal from Fringpong. And then Tony Martinez and Wendel with goals for Football Club de Porto. And they start off with a three-point lead on us. If this is a two-horse race, we I'm not saying it is, but in, in the rivalry, they are two. They are already, sorry, three points ahead of us, as we know, Bovista, three, two winners over Benfica. Round two kicks off Friday, the 18th of August, with Casa Pia hosting Sporting. And uh, I believe this match is going to be played in Rio Maior, but I'm not 100% certain. It's always... Uh, a back and forth story about where Casa Pia is going to play. They were going to play at the Castillo. They were going to play at the Jamor. They were going to play in Stubal at the Bonfin. Then it was Hugh Mayotte. I don't know where this game is going to be playing. Fatmob says it's at the Pina Manique. I can tell you one thing. It's not at the Pina Manique. So uh, we'll wait and see where that one's played Friday evening. 8.15 Portuguese Standard Time. And then Saturday, another Minho Derby. There are lots of Minho Derbys in uh, in the Portuguese calendar this year. Vitória Guimarães hosting Gil Vicente. That's a 3.30 Portuguese uh, kickoff time. And then 6 p.m. Portuguese time in Trajos Montes. Chaves host Braga. And then in the nightcap Saturday, 8.30 local time. Benfica hosting Estrela da Amadora. Estrela da Amadora, excuse me. In a match that Benfica must win. And um, Benfica really need a strong performance to put confidence back in the fan base. And going on at the same time in Algarve, Portimones hosting Boa Vista. Sunday, Istoril host Riuav. Porto host Farense. And Vizela hosting Aroca. And then on Monday, Famalicão hosting Morenes. That is round two for you. 
Uh, in the goal in the Golden Boot race early on, we have a couple players with two goals, uh, three of them to be exact. Robert Bosnick, obviously, against us, Victor Gorkic and Kanya Fujimoto. And then you got a whole slew, about 30 players or so, with one goal. All right. That is the Liga Portugal for this week. I'm going to go right into the Super Cup and talk about it now. I know this episode is running super long. What else is new, right? Uh, Benfica, as you know, 2-0 winners over Porto. Um, the antics of Sergio Conceição announced today uh, good enough for a one-match suspension plus 23 days. He's going to miss three matches from what I read in Ebola. Um, he's got three more matches. He's going to miss this upcoming match this weekend. Um, and looking at Porto's next three matches, and I don't know if this is true, but this is what was written in Ebola. I've also heard that um, 15 of the 23 days will be will be served during the international break, which is uh, quite convenient. But I don't know exactly, okay? Um, and, and the news just dropped today. But he's from what I understand, he is going to miss this weekend at home to Farense, next weekend on the road at Riwav, and then Sunday, September 3rd at home to Aroca. And he will return on the 17th of September on the road at the Jubileira against um, Estrela da Amadora. I don't really want to talk about him, to be honest. Um, Pep... Him and Pep stole the headlines. What those two did is was very obvious to me, and I think it was in its own way intelligent. They took all of the focus off of their team's performance. Um, there was a lot to talk about there. Uh, Porto died physically. I mean, their fitness crashed after a strong opening half hour at most. A lot of the pundits saying Benfica uh, were outplayed in the first half. I think they were outplayed for about 15-20 minutes. After that it evened out. And in the second half Benfica outplayed Porto. Okay, Porto completely broke physically. Um, Pep got a red card on purpose. I think he tried to get sent off earlier when he when he tried to knee Rafa or step on Rafa. The referee Luis Godinho forgave that one. He forgave the, the knee in the back of Ristich as well. I think it was, yeah, it was Ristich that he or maybe, no, it was Juracek, excuse me, who he need in the back of the leg. It took the VAR to intervene. And I think Pep did that on purpose. Pep wanted to be sent off so that he could do that whole scene, taking his shirt off, pandering to the crowd, who, when it comes to against Benfica, I'm sorry, but they react like a bull in an arena when it sees the cape. Uh, I mean, the Olays got under their skin. And that's, you know, and again, it's Otavio who somehow escapes any type of booking in this match, and I don't know how. He throws elbows. He comes in late. He steps in. He's He is gibbering at the referee all match long. I mean, he does not stop complaining. He does not stop gesturing. His foul, you know, kind of causes the mini-riot that gets Sergio, his, his manager sent off. It probably was all part of the plan. Sergio had every intention of getting sent off. It, it, it's quite a league where... A manager is suspended. He appeals his suspension so that he can 
manage the match and gets another suspension while on appeal. Not even while on appeal is he on good behavior. He has told everybody he's not going to change the way he is. This is who he is. His fan base loves it. It endears him to them. They will do anything. They will run through a wall for this guy. His players will run through a wall head first for this guy if he tells them to. Um, he knows the punishment's going to be light. And it's lighter than it should be. And everybody pointing to eight years ago when when Roger Schmidt apparently did the same thing. The difference was Roger Schmidt got fined 20,000 euros for that. Roger Schmidt got suspended for five matches. And Roger Schmidt apologized in the post-match press conference. None of that happened here. Ota, uh, sorry, Sergio Conceição is fined a ridiculously low, laughable 12000 in change. Absolutely laughable. Daoud Fakira was on TV, a manager who I have a ton of respect for, Daoud Fakira. And um, he says, these fines don't discourage him. Why would they? For what he earns, they are, they are pocket change. And he will continue to do this. And when Porto lose, he will do this. It takes the narrative away from their performance. It's very Mourinho-esque. It's just to another extreme because Mourinho is in leagues where he pays severely for this. And uh, listen, Mourinho, four words in preseason, is missing two matches already. And he got absolutely the book thrown at him at the end of the Europa League con- uh, the Europa League final last year. You can barely call what Sergio gets a slap on the wrist. He's not going to change. He's going to do it again. 24 Sending offs 24 times. Sergio Conceição has been red carded as a manager. Someone tweeted that he now surpassed his number of red cards as a manager. Now surpasses the amount of goals he scored in his football career. It's embarrassing. Again, we're going to sell TV rights with antics like this. It is embarrassing. This has to be reined in. This has to be reined in. We have to have civility in this league. It can't be Valtud. It cannot be Valtud. And you saw the way they just lost. The steam came out of their ears when Befica start passing around and the crowd is doing the olés. When they come to Stadio de Luz, I kid you not, we should do like the Mexico fans. And from the opening kickoff, we should, if we win the toss, we should choose the ball. And the 60,000 in the lose should all A from the first minute. It'll get under their skin. It'll get them booked. They will lose their composure. It'll be interesting to see how that match plays out. But here, Di Maria, the man of the match on this one. 7.7 on goal point. He absolutely came alive in the second half. I thought Kokshu was very, very good in the second half as well. Not so much in the first. Okay, Roger starts with a 4-5, uh, some sort of a 4-5-1. That was supposed to morph into a 4-3-3. It didn't work. Credit to Roger for recognizing that and making the changes at halftime. Uh, João Mario had to be sacrificed, which you can see on his face, the lack of confidence. Last night, Nino on his show asked me uh, what I thought of that. And I said, well, he's a professional. He's He's been doing this a long time. He knows that nobody's spot is guaranteed. And uh, he was the sacrificial lamb here, you know, playing out of position, not really in a role he was ever going to succeed in. And he had to be surrendered as uh, Musa came in. And then you get the great interception from Koksu in the middle third. Picks out a pass for Di Maria, who then on the inside of his right, on the, cuts inside, puts it on his favorable left foot, beats Diogo Costa. And, of course, 
look, I mean, if that had been Odie, the pitchforks would have been out already if he gave up a goal like that against Porto. Um, it would have been nice if I had, if I had recorded last week, and I had said that because, ironically, uh, Odie gives up a goal not much better, you know, maybe worse this week. Actually, he did. He gave up a goal that was worse. That first goal was worse this week. Um, it hits him. He doesn't even have to stretch for it. It was just, um, but again, for a player that, you know, many say is the best goalkeeper in the world, this this is a goal, a ball he needs to save. Um, if he could get a little lucky with that goal, and they control the match from there on in, and then, you know, again, uh, Musa, he, he settles the match in the final minutes, okay, and uh, assisted by Rafa. Rafa has another good game in this one. Benfica, the better team through more of the match. First time since 1985 Benfica win the Super Cup, and it had me super jacked up for this upcoming season. Of course, I'm back on earth here, but it is important to remember. And I did try to tell people this in conversation. Can't get too high after winning the Super Cup. Remember, the Super Cup is a glorified friendly. I know it's a big win because it's against Porto and it's a trophy. We've lost so many Super Cups in our history, especially against them. In fact, most of the ones we've lost have been against them. Um, like I said, this is only the second time we have beaten Porto in this competition. In the first since 1985. And it should have given us the momentum going in to round one. And uh, I'm curious if this isn't going to be a setback when we play Porto in the season because now we've given them a blueprint and they have adjustments they can make. They're going to get stronger, okay? They they finally sealed the deal for Nico Gonzalez and for Varela, who they picked up, Alan Varela, from Boca Juniors. Um, he was announced today. They're going to get better, okay? They are going to get better. Maybe somebody leaves. Maybe they don't. Who knows? They, they've they shown before they're not opposed to letting a player walk for free at the end of the season and to keep him for the entire season. Um, it may hurt their finances, but uh, they want to win that bad. So um, the match is what it is, right? And we just like we're not the best team in the world when we win, we're not the worst team in the world when we lose. All was not perfect because we beat Porto, and not all is lost because we lost to Boavista. This next match is very, very important, and I know that uh, they're going to be working hard this weekend, this week, excuse me, in training. And I do believe Roger's going to have them prepared. They need to come out and make a statement on Saturday night. I'll be traveling Saturday. I will be on my way to Ohio this weekend. I'm, I am uh, going to Hell is Real. I'm going to uh, the Ohio Derby uh, Columbus Crew hosting FC Cincinnati. I'll be in the house for that Saturday night. Um, I'll be watching, uh, sorry, Sunday night. So Saturday night I will be watching uh, Benfica's match in my hotel room when I get to Ohio. Um, it's a long drive. I'll be driving about 15 hours over the course of two days. Uh, and then I'm going to be driving, you know, all of it on Monday to come back because i got to work Tuesday. So, uh, next episode will the next Mr. Benfica will probably be sometime around next Tuesday or Wednesday when I get back from Ohio. I do plan to have the season premiere of Liga Trish in English out uh, by Friday, the latest. I'm hoping to do it Thursday, but by Friday, the latest. Uh, rounds one and two already in the book in uh, in Liga Trish. They play two rounds within inside of a week. 
Um, and there's already some stories to talk about, so I, I can't wait to talk about that. So please stay tuned to the feed for that. Like I said, the league table already up at uh, MrBenfica.com. You'll be shocked to find Gilles Vicente top of the table after one round. Okay, uh, I think this is going to do it for uh, Mr. Benfica, episode 167, the first of season six. Can't believe this is already season six here. Again, if you want to to contact me, feel free to drop me a DM on X, on Twitter, whatever you still call it. I'll, I'll use both names for now. Um, at Mike Agustino, that's at M-I-K-E-H-E-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. And the show is at Benfica Mister. If this is your first time listening and you're still with me here, thank you for staying through the entire episode. I know it has been long. I My goal this season is to not have two-hour episodes every week and to not do multiple games in every episode. So I'm going to try my best to stay as current as I can this season, um, even if it means it has to be shorter, less detailed uh, uh, episodes. Um, as you see, I kind of skimmed over this Super Cup that I, it would have easily been a, an hour plus talking about last week. But it is what it is. Um, again, questions, concerns, comments, thoughts, feel free to hit me up. I am My DMs are always open. And, um, yeah, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Um, so follow the channel, follow the, the social media, and check out www.mrbayfica.com going to try to get some written content this season i don't know when it's going to start i've said that i know for over a season now but really these are some of my goals for this season six and to really turn a corner and to start pumping out some more content as we go all right that's going to do it you have uh you have suffered long enough listening to my voice here solo monotone so um again i'll see you in the next episode 168 i'll Hopefully here, hopefully you'll check out Liga Trish in English in the next coming days. It's uh, a podcast I really enjoy doing, covering the Portuguese third division, you know, and covering all of our local clubs in our, you know, hometowns, ancestral hometowns, north, south, and central. No islands this year in Liga Trish, but um, yeah, it's a story for another day. All right, um, we're also worth saying the B team did win their opener, three uh, two this past weekend. And um, they're one of five teams with three points. I hope to uh, pay a little more attention to them this season. Of course, it's hard now with BTV not uh, on my Fubo app. I'm not able to record BTV, so um, I will. I will try. All right, I will try. Like I said, and again, there's more content coming your way. There is some special content that I've been working on that I just haven't put out, and I will get that out maybe. Uh, when we get to an international break in uh, in a, about a month or so. But that's it. Thank you for listening once again. Uh, this has been Mr. Benfica. Like I said, I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinho signing off. And I'll see you next time here on Mr. Benfica. Carrega Benfica. Forza Benfica. Remember the hashtag. If you love football, you love Benfica. Dam U39. I've been waiting to say that. Give me that 39. I'll see you next time. Thank you, spit, you spit.